0: Hey, Wilson Bame here with a special bonus episode of Binder. Today's episode was recorded live during last April's More Than Rhythm concert and is a conversation with host and ethnomusicologist, Dr. Brigida Johnson, guest musician Mimi Jones, and assistant professor of jazz at UFSC, Dr. Colleen Clark. So what are we waiting for? Let's start the show.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I see some new faces. How many people were here in March for our kickoff event? Okay, there we go, this this, this crowd, like this, like this. So we got some new people, so I'm gonna give you guys a spiel from last month to bring you along what we're doing here. So we're back, and um, if you were here in last month, we opened up with uh, Dr. Tony McNeil and the Celebration, um, Heritage Celebration Choir, and um, basically, we're here to do it again, CMA, FAAAC are coming on to kind of bring you through a two-year musical journey through several eras of Black music, as well as diving into current conversations and trends in Black music, composers, and performers. From spirituals, soul, and rock, classical blues, or hip-hop, the history that the music of Black Americans affirms is key to what Black music continues to be and why it continues to be so popular around the world across lines of race, gender, age, class, nationality, and even language. I know, over the next two years, we want to bring you more than just some live concerts, but um, black music is often a communal in nature and we get together and I'm glad you guys come together. I see your mask, thank you for your mask. Thank you for holding on with these masks for these last two years. Um, but we want to really think about not only being fun and entertaining, but also engaging and interactive. And so some of our live concerts will uh, include community talkbacks, and like tonight we're gonna have a pre-show panel uh, with some guests from the concert, or like our next event in June, featuring uh, low country, born and uh, raised hip-hop artist, Benny Starr, on the second. Yeah, Benny Starr. (laughs) Oh, We got some hip-hop hits in the front row. I love it, I love it, I love it. Baby boomer hip hoppers are the best fans. You guys actually listen to the lyrics. There you go. So on June 2nd, um, that's that Thursday, he's gonna be doing a film screening because he's also a filmmaker. And it's going to be, um, the name of the film is Restoration, a concert film about the grassroots efforts of Southern black farmers to get justice as well as economic restitution. There we go. I love it. I love it. I love the Black Fist. But the second day, basically June 3rd, that Friday, is going to be when the live concert happens. And so you come on Thursday, get some film screening and some talk time with Benny Starr, and then he's going to bring his band. So we're going to have live hip hop with a band on June the 3rd. And as we just heard today, it'll be Free 99. So bring all your friends. So um, Free 99, we love it. We love it. So this, uh, our second stop on the More Than Rhythm Train is gonna really be looking at uh, and having this conversation time with our our pre-concert guests. Um, Brief but lively discussion about jazz roots, jazz today, as well as jazz irrepressible push towards the future. And um, our two-woman panel includes Jasper Kustis and assistant professor of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina, Dr. Carlene Clark and our featured performer tonight, jazz bassist and vocalist, and she does a lot of things. Make sure you read her bio. Um, and she's also an associate professor at uh, the famed Berklee College of Music uh, in Boston, Mimi Jones. And so I'm going to bring our, our guests up. We have a little talk time here, a little Sally Jesse, a little Oprah time with our guest, and um, talk a little bit about jazz. Come on up. Woo. I was going to scoosh, but this is a- this is that non-Ikea furniture. You got to really get up and move it. <laughs> All right. So when I think about um, the influence of jazz in America, and, and when we were talking about this series, we often talk about how I kind of see, a lot of people see jazz as America's first global pop sound. It went around the world, and you know, it was homegrown here, and it's, I even call it sometimes America's kind of uh, first melting, melting pot genre, because you have so many influences from New Orleans, African American Southern and folk, as well as, you know, secular and sacred roots and things like that, and so if it's a melting pot type genre, I think, and I see a lot of West African traditions as like kind of the cauldron that it sits in, right? It's been marinating in for over a century at this point. so. Um, at this point, as it kind of goes into the 21st century, we see jazz has kind of sprawled out and moved and influenced so many other genres in American music and become so many other subgenres and things. And so we look at how people come into jazz today, and it can be so many avenues and various ways of finding jazz or jazz finds people. So my first question for our panelists is how did you discover jazz? How did jazz discover you as a musician?
2: Am I going first? Oh, yes, you are. First of all, thank you so much for having me here, and you guys. This is well attended. I see, you know, full chairs. So thank you so much for being here. It means <laughs> the world. So far, Columbia has been like I got to go back and give a great report. It's been <laughs> so wonderful, so wonderful. Um, for me, it definitely started at home, and naturally on a Sunday while my mom was cleaning up the house, which she had all of us cleaning my brother and my (laughs) sister and I there was Al Green playing on any any given Friday. It was about Miles Davis, John Coltrane Cannonball. I Nancy Wilson, maybe Thelonious (laughs) Monk, you know, and to be honest, when I was about mm, I was about 10 years old, I was so into Michael Jackson. It was just like, it was and, and Run I had like the early hip hop thing happening, and then, so I rebelled. It was like, um, do we have to listen to Kinda Blue again? You know, And my father was like, you need to, yes. you need to listen to that. Yeah, you won't listen. <laughs> so when I, to make a long story short, I went. Through the years, through different schools, that I, I was actually trying to play with Michael Jackson. That was in my head the whole time. As we were, yeah, I was going to be on tour as well. Yes. Yeah, that was it. I had the and I had father, the purple Thriller jacket. Yes, that
1: was it. They didn't make a, a real purple <laughs> Thriller jacket. Someone sold it at J C Penney's, and I thought
2: <laughs> this sounds real. It's true. And so he was like, "If you really want to do this." you have to really learn how to play guitar, was the instrument that I had chosen. And you must play classical guitar. He he made me really think that. I was like, oh, that's the the route I have to take? He was like, yes. So I became a classical guitarist and, you know. Anyway, I went through schools, and um, to make a long story short, so I don't get so far off the tangent, when I got to high school, um, they switched me to cello, there wasn't a guitar teacher there. I had, you know, strings, they're like, yeah, it's all the same. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not, the same. And so I ended up jumping on to bass, because that felt better. That felt funkier, although I love cello. So, um, and then right away, uh, one of the directors saw me and he was like, oh, we need a bass player for the first, the third big band. And I was like, well, what's that? Lo and behold, I got into the big band and next thing you know, I'm playing all this music that my father, I was like, ah, dang, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. But it felt good. So he did get me, because I was like, ah, this is nice, okay. And I had to go back and say, all right, can I listen to some of your records? You know, so that was kind of like, Once again, back in the 80s, you had to ask for permission to touch the records. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Because they were not yours. You didn't own the music.
1: Mm -hmm. Colleen, how did Jess
3: find you? Well, I got in a lot of trouble for touching records when I shouldn't have. (laughs) A lot of trouble. My dad was a bass player actually, and um, he always had a dream of having a family band. I have a sister, and so uh, we had like a Beatles cover band with my sister and him. Yeah, it was just really, um, you know, it it was okay. We did one concert, and it was uh, in the sixth grade at our school assembly, obviously, so um, (laughs) it wasn't wasn't great, if you know what I mean but anyway um no I got I got into this um this jazz thing because I had a tape with uh sing 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 uh the great Gene Krupa uh playing sing 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 um on one side and the other side I had uh Channel One Sweet Buddy Rich. Um, so two iconic um, drummers when I was, uh, you know, about, it was fifth grade or so. This was also when I was trying to figure out how to play 25 or 64, you know. Because, you know, when you're starting out on the drum set, you really getting your stuff together um is really hard and so just even just playing <laughs> playing backbeat which sometimes today is hard <laughs> for me yes, yes. um you know yes. to get be be in that pocket and whatnot um and get into that pocket uh you know it, it, it it's for a little kid it's, it's tough so um so i was fortunate enough uh i had been actually assigned a flute to play the flute in the fourth grade, yep. <coughs> and uh, my dad, switch. Yeah, the good bane bane. Switch, yeah, I know, the, man, if I had known that my back would be feeling the way it is when I have to haul all my stuff all the time, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but my dad actually vouched for me with the band teacher, please let Colleen play the drum set, she really wants to do it, and so um, I was lucky that he stood up for me, and uh, and you know, and the rest is history. Uh, I grew up in a in a town in Connecticut, small town, but jazz, for whatever reason, was really popular. And so, we won the Berkeley Jazz Festival a few times. Our little public school um, playing the music of Monk and Mingus and Ellington, and so um, I grew up with that. And that's um, <clears throat> that's the music that really. Spoke to me uh, as I started my journey and playing and whatnot. So, um, so that that's the short version of of little Colleen. Yes, <laughs> getting on those drums. I love it. I love the claps. Now I feel like oh, but for real, these claps.
1: Okay. Um, so uh, when I think about. Um, Those are good. Oh, yeah. Another Binder podcast uh, plug. So some of the long versions of these stories will be on the next Binder podcast. We ask some similar questions, and so you'll hear the long story um, from Mimi because there is more wonderful detours on that story um, and and famous spots and stops she made on her way to being jazz legend on the bass. So. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, let's see, my, my next question was thinking about, I mentioned earlier as jazz is this kind of global um, sound, and as I was thinking about how long we've been with jazz, and jazz has been with us, and and we think about the international reach of jazz, that happened roughly 100 years ago. I was thinking about um, Sidney Bechet going to Europe for the first time, and then I looked back and said, oh, that was 1919, so like literally 100 years ago, he was going for the first time to London, and. Then and he came back again to Paris with Josephine Baker and so people you know that's the kind of the, the jumping off point of uh, people around the world knowing and loving jazz and of course his tours with um, uh, her they went a lot of places in the, in the teens and the 20s like Russia and the farthest stretches of Europe and then back to Paris again so thinking about this global reach of jazz and And putting that in the same conversation with you hear people saying, well, jazz is dead, or jazz has lost its way, or jazz is blah, 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 blah. Um, But at the same time, we have what's going on with these slides, slides. jazz keeps emerging. We see what happened at the Grammys this year was John Batista winning album of the year. And then he's beating a whole bunch of people, the Justin Bieber's, the Kanye West. And then we see a couple of years ago, Esperanza Spaulding, another wonderful bass player beating Justin Bieber and beating all the kind of up and coming people. And so I guess my question is around where do you see or how do you see the relevance of jazz today? Since we have these kind of conflicting narratives about, oh, jazz is old people's music and jazz has lost okay, its way. Know, and it's, it's not in the community. But then you see, you know, younger artists still performing and stretching these boundaries. How do we reconcile those kind of conflicting narratives
2: mm-hmm. since you are great jazz professionals so and now they're still doing jazz? Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> I definitely feel like jazz is truth, so it's not gonna go anywhere, mm And actually, just being an educator in different, I, I randomly get called in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world, to teach different age levels. It could be, I actually had students in diapers. I mean, it was so it. cute, but they were learning bebop. They were. We love it, <laughs> but um, and adults, uh, middle school, mm-hmm. you know, the cool, the cool ones. That there, there are a lot of interested youngsters coming up. Right. It's it's doing a turn. It did a little low. And I I blame that on many of our systems. You know, art is always Mm -hmm. the first thing that gets like, okay, we can hold on that.
3: Mm -hmm. And, Mm
2: -hmm. you know, people forget that we need that. That's life for us. That's what gives us the hope and inspiration that we need when things are just like not going right. Right. That literally helped us through COVID, you know, Mm -hmm. case in point. And so, um... I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think it it does move with the time. Like uh, an artist like Robert Glasper, yeah. who he is versed in, I saw it with my own eyes, in bebop. And then can flip it and do his radio music. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. And I think we're at a point now where it's... You know, people are just doing what feels good, the vibration of whatever it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The labels, you know, you have to put a label on it, I guess, because it has to be marketed and mm-hmm. sold, and you know, um, they have to keep track of what sold and what genre. But everything is kind of blending into other things, and just becoming music. And so you're getting larger amounts of people listening to things they don't even know they're listening to jazz.
3: Right, right. You
2: know, so, and I'm, I'm kind of for that because then it becomes for everybody. Right. Exactly. And we need it to heal, we need it to, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. to
1: preach. To, there you go, yeah, I love exactly. it. So. Same question for you, and particularly because you know, if you don't know, uh, Dr. Clark is a brand new faculty at U- University of South Carolina. This is her first year. Been a dynamo since she got here, hit the ground running, and so she is a part of our growing jazz studies program at USC. So um, she's already done Jazz Girls Day, really involved in trying to get South Carolina, you know, raise that level and, and get young people um, into studying it, as opposed to I just do it in high school and then I go to college and whatever else, you know, I don't do it anymore. So you're part of that wave. Can you speak kind of to that that same thing as far as jazz
3: relevance? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, uh I think that f- folks don't realize that, and, Br- and Brigitte mentioned it earlier, that jazz actually started as a globalized music. So we call it the melting pot in New Orleans. Um, I think folks maybe forget about the Caribbean influences, right. the South American influences, right. the Central American, right, all Latin American influences. Um, <clears throat> so all that was happening at that time we can see it now, too, with Mm -hmm. folks like Luis Perdomo, um, who are um, taking jazz and bringing themselves into it, whether they're from a different country or they want to express it in a, in a way that fuses musics together. That is becoming something that um, is <clears throat> make, makes it identifiable for, for a wider audience. And so um, in regards to here in South Carolina, um, as Brigitte mentioned, I'm, I'm new this year and one of our really big goals is to get jazz happening in the public schools. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> So part of that um, is there's only about between 20 and 25 public schools that have jazz programs in the state. And um, I said, you know, with me and and, and my my partners in crime, especially our director of jazz studies, Matt White, I said, "How, how can we attack this most efficiently? we're gonna to go to them. So we've gone to 15 schools already this year. Mm-hmm. We still have got a few more um, to cover before the end of their school year. And as a part of that is is I founded um, Jazz Girls Day here at the University of South Carolina and we actually just won another big grant um, that is going to allow us to do Jazz Girls Day um, Upstate and Jazz Girls Day Low Country. <laughs> and also hosted at the university. So we'll have three Jazz Girls Days in this upcoming academic year. And just from that alone, the people that have been reaching out to me and in the entire program, it's already, it's, the uptick is incredible. And again, it's not that Music educators in the state of South Carolina don't want to do it. They don't know how to do it, and they're too afraid, or maybe they just don't think they're good enough to try to teach it. And so we're creating a, a curriculum that is going to become <clears throat> um, public for all these guys. Yeah, so they can say, hey, oh, I can do that. And that's all we need to do. We're here, f- we're here for them, we're here for you, we're here for our community, right? And so we make our community stronger by sharing our knowledge, sharing our tools, doing things like this um, so that folks can say, hey, oh, I've got a friend that, that teaches yes. band. Um, hey, I'm gonna hook you up with Colleen. She's gonna help you out. The guys from USC are gonna come over. It's gonna be great, right? And so <clears throat> the goal is whenever we do that, we, we get everybody to play a blues in the room. Everybody plays a blues by the time we leave, you know uh, and like, so as they should as yes, they should right <laughs> and so um so that's part of part of my um my goals here uh you know, as a new person at the university, thankfully I'm I'm hooked up with really great people that inspire me, and and we can connect them to our community here, right? So thanks again for for this. I love
1: it. Thank you. Thank you. And so we made a good hire. Yes. Yes. I was on that search committee. I was very happy. Um, she was
3: so cool on that know, search it committee. It was awesome.
1: We basically we went from one jazz studies professor to three in the past year. So you're gonna see a lot of good jazz coming out of USC. So I'll buy my regulars, we're coming. We got more stuff, more stuff.
0: Hey, Wilson Bame here to give you even more More Than Rhythm Programming. On July 23rd, we close out our second season with Grammy Award winning, two-time Emmy Award nominee and 2020 United States Artist Fellow, Dom Flemons. Flemons will join Dr. Brigita Johnson to discuss his passion for storytelling through old time music, his experiences with the award-winning Carolina Chocolate Drops, and his current projects that champion the black contributions to American folk music, before he takes the stage to perform a set of tunes spanning over a century of early American popular music. For more information about More Than Rhythm, or any of the CMA's programs or exhibitions, please visit our website, www.columbiamuseum.org. And we'll see you at the next concert.
1: So um, I love that answer. I love both of your answers. And so I'm thinking about um, now we think about 21st century and jazz, and you mentioned jazz is truth. And one thing that jazz has also done that some people, sometimes we miss when we listen to our, our cool jazz, the smooth jazz, and our Kenny G's, um, the, the activist side of jazz. And so I remember like in my FM 202 classes, everyone I start with, um, Max Roach's Freedom Now Suite from 1960. And it's a way to kind of get the kids into not only music, but also the civil rights history that was happening. They literally was gonna write an album in tribute to the, um, the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. But right before they were about to write it, the Greenville sit in started. And so when you see the album cover and it's them kind of recreating that lunch counter scene, yeah. they start looking at the students who are starting those lunch counter protests and sit-ins and say, well, no, we're gonna change this. We're gonna do something else. And so they bring in Oscar Brown Jr. and Abby Lincoln, and then you get the Freedom Now suite, which is, if, if you don't know, it's avant-garde jazz. So the first time they meet me, they don't get to hear the good cute Bobby stuff. They get to hear some screaming. <laughs> and some modalism and some, and, you know, different rhythms, and so it kind of opens the ear to jazz, but also this kind of political, socially conscious jazz that kind of starts, of course, there and continues on. We see variations of that. I think in one of the slideshow pictures, we have Courtney Bryan, who wrote the commission piece um, to honor Sandra Bland a couple of years ago. It's called Yet and Heard. It's been performed a couple of times. And then, of course, we're gonna hear a little bit from the Black Madonna Project as well. And so I guess the question I wanna get to is thinking about um, the the what we what do you guys see as the um kind of activism um and different types of activism that you see in jazz
3: today?
1: I'm gonna to start with Colleen this time.
3: Well, um, it's it's a difficult question because um it's particular to each artist. And so um I think what I'll do is address it this way. Um a platform is a very powerful thing, and so um, depending on wh- which artist it is, of course, um, uh, as long as they use it uh, in a positive way, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I support it, you know, and I'm behind it a hundred percent. And so, if, if we relate this to the university setting and what we're doing when we're teaching, um, if we can, we can like Dr. Johnson's saying, in, in our classrooms, show them different examples of how this has worked positively. And maybe, and I don't mean it It doesn't create an upset, it should, right? That's what we're, we're trying to do. We're trying to, to, to um, open, open ears, eyes, hearts to things that are obvious to some and not obvious to others. And so if we teach our, our students, hey, you can do this and create good from it, than we should. And so I think that the classroom is a really special place for that. And um, it's also a great uh, place for conversation, safe conversation, and um, and just creativity. And so from the community aspect, the education aspect, that, that's how I'll address that. And I'll let Mimi address it from the, the artistic aspect.
2: Not. Sure. <laughs> Thank you.
3: Um,
2: well, you know, at some point, definitely with the hip hop, it is something that, you know, it's so popular. Mm-hmm. And I I thought it was important that what was being said was things that were gonna push us forward as a people. Mm-hmm. I feel like at some point it went down, it was poetry at first, I felt like right, it was poetry. Right, right, right. And it went down, I'm not gonna call out any names or do anything like that, but I'm sure many of us know many young um, people who ended up incarcerated because the culture was to follow violence, get your money, you know, drugs. Um, And so like Colleen said, it's very important that these platforms are utilized, um, like we understand the power of what we do. You know what I'm saying. So I, but one thing that's important is that um, what I noticed too is that first of all, many different um, rap is very diverse. A lot of people listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, many different backgrounds, di- all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's right. kind of crazy. You you'd be surprised how far like jazz. Yes, how far stuff gets, you know, and how people are looking up to that or, like, that's the thing to do. So an artist that I kind of like right now is, like, a Kendrick Lamar, um, because it's important that you you still understand that that is a language, it is a culture. It's not to be, like, oh, that's just crap. But I'm into, like, please say something positive. We need it. Mm-hmm. People are thirsty for there to be something like a like a call yeah. so that we can respond a a way to gather us together in a healthy and a, a way, you know, some t- a positive. Thank you. Yeah. A positive way. I'm sorry. It's Friday. I've been, you know, I'm a plane, teacher plane, too, so the my brain time. can like. <laughs> but wait, wait. You mentioned teaching again because we got two educators here.
1: But you're at Berkeley, um, and Berkeley started about I believe two or three years ago a Jazz and Gender Justice Institute. And so, slide person, click the slides again. Um, basically, um, uh, Tara Lynn Carrington uh, runs the institute, and um, I think the question they have on some of their flyers is like, what would jazz look like without patriarchy? Yeah. And so I know, right? And so we you know Terry Lynn Carrington, this wonderful former child prodigy drummer, right? And so she's a part of this 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 idea of institutionalizing jazz that Gets away from some of the some of the negative sides of you know what happens. So we have two wonderful female musicians here, and they can probably tell stories about that and, and how sex has impacted them as musicians. But how do we move beyond the pointing at the problem and saying, well, how do we fix it, right? And so, have you worked with the Jazz and Gender Justice a little bit? Oh yeah, jump on in.
2: Yeah. So I. I actually want to be in that institute. I know a person. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm on the other side. Because Berkeley, it's like a got, bunch of yeah, yeah different schools yep, with yep. one name, what but I, I really like them they're cool. So I have so many students that come to me and they say, I found my voice in that because they weren't forced to have to do something that just wasn't natural to them. Right. A lot of times just speaking as a woman coming up, and I think we all know how this feels, you go to um, I mean, it can happen in life, but in music, we'll go to a jam session. That's where we all kind of come together to play tunes, Mm -hmm. you know, randomly together to just practice. And it could be, like, in a club setting or whatever. And it's just, it gets so weird at times because people are like, hey. And you're like, dang, I didn't come for, you know. You see this bass I'm standing with? I got this bass right here. I'm I'm just trying to get the music (laughs) like you. Right, right. So, or, or, just like... Oh, um did you are you here with someone? Did yeah. you know, are you right. here with your boyfriend? No, I'm just carrying these drums cuz you know, I like to. Right. Carrying <laughs> drums. Around. Yeah. Yes. We'll we we'll, uh-huh. we'll get back to you. You know that yeah. that kind of thing so you get marginalized really quick yeah. and you get tired. Yeah. It just gets really tiring, so we don't go, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like um what Terry is doing, it just it really is a big hug and allows women to um get in and really explore their voices and,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, a way that we can feel comfortable and relaxed to get into it.
3: Yeah. Can I add a little something? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Mimi and I actually met on a women in jazz gig. Oh, I love it. Tell me um, that story. I like that story. <laughs> and, uh, It was heavy because the vocalist was the great Catherine Russell. And if you're not hip to Catherine Russell, um, her musical and jazz lineage is, um, she's living jazz blood. What do I mean by that? Louis Russell was was her father and he was the um, uh, pianist and uh, musical director for Louis Armstrong. Yeah, and then Carleen Ray, her mother was in the International Sweethearts of Rhythm. She was a, bless you. She was a bass player, a vocalist, and a guitar player. And um, uh, continue. I mean, she she lived until very recently, actually. Um, she was my
2: mentor. Yeah. When
3: <laughs> yeah, and so just the fact that that we met in that situation, and it was. Um, uh, Camille was there. Oh, it God. was Camille Thurman and um, oh man, I'm sorry. Um, right, Bria, well, Lincoln, Lincoln Center in Lincoln Center outdoors. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, and and it was it was. Um, it was a tribute to the International Sweethearts uh, of Rhythm. And so doing that with Katherine Russell, it was like, first of all, I I was just so honored to be there with everybody, but playing behind her and playing with Mimi, oh my God, I was like, I couldn't stop smiling. You see the videos of me? And I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) Mimi's like, yo, chill. Allegiance. But like yeah. that kind of that is so important, and mm-hmm. if we didn't have this another eruption of um, because it happens right when 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 something happens in our um, social um, you know political moment, so we have the Me Too moment. We're still in that. It actually has been. Uh, good for work because we're saying, hey, we're here. And folks are saying, right, you're here. Yeah, you Oh, I should hire you. Um, Because like Mimi's saying, it's not easy for us to go and hang and meet people at jam sessions. It's just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. For many reasons. Mm-hmm. And so now, and, and I'm not saying that every band we have to play in has to be all women. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we're here. We're ready to be heard and to be seen and to be hired. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yep. yep, yep, Amen to
1: that. I love that. Pay them. Pay them their money. They don't need exposure. They I have the internet. So... <laughs> It's real. So um, I think I got the signal. This is now for our Q&A time. We have just enough for maybe a little bit of questions. I think I saw a hand about, there's a hand right there. I'll repeat it for you. Okay, he said, what are some things that inspire you to make and play jazz? This is for the podcast.
2: (laughs) Me again? Okay. Um, Definitely... So jazz is one of those things that, you know, you have to put your emotion in it. So if you're alive, you you could probably get up in there and play it. There's a space for you to speak. And, um, you know, just when I'm feeling a certain kind of way, I I know that that's that's a music for me. It gives me space to be able to express myself. Um, It also brings people together. It makes you have to listen. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really acute listening. Sometimes people think, oh, that's, that's, that's funky, that's nice. It's hard, because mm-hmm. you, you have to be doing like 10 things at one time. You're listening to the drummer who's connecting with the pianist. Wait, is this in tune? Am I playing the right notes? How do, how do I get the solo to build? What am I going to play in my solo? You know, um, what is a solo? I'm out there by myself, but wait, I got to keep the form, but you said I'm free, but I'm not free. It, <laughs> You know, so I don't know, I get inspired when I hear other people doing it really well and um, just going at it, because y- you have the space. It's one of those musics you can like just get in it. Stretch and out, yeah. You know, and we're going to do some of that too. You know, yeah. um, one of the players that we have, he's actually a student of mine and um, I made a vow. My mentor told me, you, I'm going to help you and you're going to help someone and they're going to help some, and you may, and that's, so we've been passing it down. And um, so, you know, he was like worried a little bit, like I wasn't getting the chords right. I was like, dude, just have some fun, like get in there. You got here because you were supposed to be here. And so it's a it's a music that allows you to really express yourself on a high level. You know, it's very freeing. Um, So when I see young people trying to get it, it makes me try to get it more, like, okay, all right, so it's still going, okay, okay, you know, it's just a beautiful thing, and then you could be doing so many other types of music, we fuse different musics, like it was said earlier, with jazz, it could be Indian music with jazz, it could be Cuban, it could be like African, just, you know, and it, it comes, the basis of it does come from Africa, too. So it's just, it's a real beautiful music. And then you got, like, all these other influences with the chords, like, mm-hmm. you know, Spanish sounds, sounds of the moors, all, all kinds of things in there. So it's just fun. Listening. Have listening. a good time. Like, it's music you can have fun with. So
1: okay. I want to do a, a quick shout out. I think I mentioned this last month when we did our kickoff. You weren't here for it. But when I announced that um, Colleen is historic in that she is the first woman to get a uh, DMA in jazz, jazz studies percussion, right, at the University of North Texas. And so if you know University of North Texas legendary jazz program and so um, the institutionalization of jazz is kind of where we are now where you do have a jazz and gender justice and a jazz program at Berkeley so we do see jazz programs and jazz in the k-12 and so I I think the question like where we are now with institutionalization of jazz where a student can go in and they don't have to do three and four years of classical music and then maybe jazz in their senior year right? right So I think that's kind of what we're thinking about, thorough curriculum where, like even in our program, if you want to do jazz guitar, you can just start with jazz guitar. Yep. And and you don't have to get the, the, I think we all have the kind of bait and switch. I was supposed, I wanted to play cello. My parents said, here's a violin, this is what we can afford. <laughs> and so I could not be like Julie on Fame. So I just, you know, couldn't do it. Fame was very important. That was one yeah, of my influences. Mine too. But yep, we are a fame generation here. But the idea that um, when I went that's to Mimi's high school. There, there we go. Mimi's high school, the Fame high school. There we go. Um, but when, when I got into um, uh, listen, got to do it. I think Nicki Minaj went there too. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. She did. Yeah. She did. yeah, she did yeah there I we, had we had go. Had so once awesome. again. That's right.
1: But music in schools, and so when I got into, I was, you know, got switched to the violin, but when I went to, i from Atlanta originally, I got to play not only the classical music, but I got to play the music of my people. I got to play Richard Smallwood, I got to play spirituals on the violin, I got to play Donnie Hathaway, and so the idea that I had a uh, African American female orchestra teacher who made sure we had everything in front of us, kept us in it. You know, I stayed in it for, for my entire K-12 you know, career, middle school high school and the curriculum no one was doing that i didn't realize it. i thought everybody was over here playing cameo and violin <laughs> we did i mean we did i thought everybody was doing that until we went to festival and realized oh all they do is telemon and bach i'm like well, but we get to do michael jackson so this idea of uh, music education curriculum um where do you see it going now she asked about the futures where do you see it going now because, like, you're, okay, this case, this, this set the scene. You're at the conservatory setting, so yeah. conservatory is hardcore performance, 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 and then you're now at a state institution, and you got to take all these other classes, and then you major in music. So you can jump in how you feel like.
3: Okay. Yes, ma'am.
1: Yeah,
0: um, you. <laughs> um,
3: so, uh... The thing about North Texas, I'll just go back for one second. Um, It's also a state institution. Um, It's the oldest jazz school in the United States. So it was formed in 1946, uh, post World War II GI Bill. Mm -hmm. They said if you want to come after the war, get a free education, you can get a a degree in dance band. They didn't call it jazz because that was a bad word, you know. Right. So that's a whole other thing we can talk about, but we don't have to. Yeah. Um, So. there is no one formula that has worked. Mm-hmm. I'll put it there first, yeah. okay? Go. There is not a formula that has worked out great yet. Um, but uh, the whole idea of separating the the student from the real world, um, that's where we really see Issues and that's where Mimi's job is different from my job. Um, she's in a city, a big city, um, and closer to another big city. You know, being in Boston and being close to New York, her students have different types of opportunities than my students. I'm not saying they're better or worse. I'm just saying they're different. Mm-hmm. And so, what we're doing in our in our Jazz Days program right now, we have we we currently have six full time. Um, about to be 5 Bert Ligon is retiring but um uh what we're trying to do is we're we're bringing in students that um, not only ha- want to hone their their jazz skills, but they want to become a producer, mm-hmm. or they want to you know, they want to um, work um, in media, but they also want to be on the music side of it, or they want to do some kind of industry thing where they right. can have a crossover with our music industry studies program, or they want to be some sort of um, a community entrepreneur where right. where they love jazz and they can yeah they can they can play some bebop and whatnot, but they think that they're going to be more effective doing things like this. And so that's where it becomes different. And that's where our students differ. Now, listen, we we all have the model, and now we're used to this, this South Carolina strong model of we're gonna home grow our own, right? And we, we're learning this from Coach, right? Coach has done, Coach Staley has done this, right? Right. right. Yeah, that's right, yep. Yeah. And so, Co- Coach has made it so that um, basketball programs within the state of South Carolina are strengthening. That's the model that we're using when it comes to jazz education. We want mm-hmm. the public education to strengthen so we can streamline it into our state school. Love it. And yep. so, um, um, and so that's where it's going to be different from, from Mimi's experience, where it's a conservatory setting in a city. So
2: okay. So there, uh, and I'll be brief, there, there are two sides, that was really good, thank you. Love it. There, there, <laughs> there are two sides of it, two sides of a coin to everything. In truth, to answer what you had mentioned about how we feel about the, the music being institutionalized, it is... You know, we we keep running into brick walls because without going on YouTube and just regurgitating something as you see it is not playing jazz. You you emulate the sound, you get close to it, and you kind of have an idea. It's like you have to live it. You have to get out there and be with people. You have to listen and then um, respond. We we're in an era now where especially. After COVID, I don't know if you guys have youngsters ar- around you, they don't like to emote. They're right. very, yeah. Definitely. So I find myself in my classes like, come on, guys. You're right. Oh, yeah, Whew. right. It's, it's like, you know, you have to do and, it and that is part of the African tradition, the call and response. It's right. needed. It's needed. It, it means something when we're up here playing and you guys go, whoop, whoop. Like, you we, we feel it. Like, right. yeah, okay, that was good. It gives us like a stamp of like, keep going. We understand. We feel you. And um so... Uh, we run into this brick wall of just trying to get them to understand that, like, repetition, just, just doing it, or imitation, that's not it. It's so much deeper than that. You got you to gotta go in. You got to be vulnerable. You got to tap into that part where you, you sound sad, and we got to hear it. It's like right. trying to learn a language, right. and you got to rock in different levels of it. And with different people, you got to get out. Right. You, you need to travel you can't just be in one place and think you know this is what it is you're just in this box no you got to go over there and go over there and check out what they're doing and not only just jazz you got to check out different genres right so like funk go rock with some funk understand how that beat pattern fits in with the swing and like why is that different than why does it kind of work oh I can put these two together oh okay Mm -hmm. you know and why if you try to play bebop on top of some smooth thing it might not fit go figure that out Mm -hmm. go have a conversation I tell my students all the time go sit down and have lunch with your friends get out of here talking about those scales and stuff for a second. Because we we plug that into them because that's what we're supposed to do as educators. But to be honest, one of the biggest um, learning experiences is like the student Angelo that you're, you're going to see. He came here to meet you guys and feel what it feels like in South Carolina. Right. Literally. Sometimes it's not about playing the note. It's about... We were telling him earlier, you gotta think crawfish, man. You gotta think like, you know. You need some okra on it. Ritz. You got to put some hot sauce. You some got shrimp some hot and grits sauce. in there. You know, you know and, and to do that, you got to taste it. You got to smell the air. It's different. Is that what he was eating back backstage? You
1: know? I thought that was Thai food. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love it. I love everything. Basically, I, I won't. We'll make sure you got this on tape because I basically um, love that experiential aspect because that's that's basically when we think about the Black musical aesthetic and African aesthetics where it's a part of everyday life and it's communal and people answer back and you say something it comes back and that's how the musicians and the artists know to keep going. I all just you know the dance a lot of this music is dance music yes. and so if you do not dance I don't know how you do it <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't sound like it when you figure out what's going on they're not swinging right because they don't understand Ella Fitzgerald was a dancer yeah. at the Savoy. Yes. Right. And then she picked up the microphone. She yeah. danced, her dance partner was Dizzy Gillespie. They, they, they were dance partners. And so this idea of these are the, the people who founded Bebop. How did they figure out how to take rhythm somewhere else? They used to be dancers, you know? And so these experiential aspects, I think this is something that we, we got used to it because you know, we were older, but I think the uh, pandemic Uh, Some people lost that particularly young people. And so we have to actually be more intentional about The emoting and the conversations and the sitting with and a lot of people get inspired by to your question. Our young man asked that question about what inspires you a lot of times, you know Things that happen. I we we talked about Dizzy Gillespie and I think I put a slide up and that song he did uh, what channel pozo um, uh, Manteca Manteca didn't doesn't really have words, but I heard a story about he got inspired to do that bass line because, you know, of course Dizzy's from South Carolina. Yay, woo! <laughs> All right, woo woo. But they, they yeah, let's do it
3: again.
1: He basically put words to that. They were traveling in the South. And they had a bad experience in Georgia. Uh And he put a, I never go back to Georgia. And so that's actually a protest moment. Even though it's a wonderful beginning and jumping off point to Latin jazz and Afro-Cuban jazz and all that stuff that we have, it's rooted in that experience of them traveling around the world, getting treated like kings and queens and coming back to the South and having to eat in the back or live across the street or, or the hotels won't take you. You know, or having people stiff you because they what are you gonna say in Jim Crow South if they don't give you your money, right? And so the song that's being played over and over again, people love it, it's in curriculums, yep. but it has that backstory. So we think about the, the the other parts of jazz, the stories that it tells about the experience, as well as reaching people across the world. This is kind of what we're going with this.
0: The More Than Rhythm Podcast is a production of the Columbia Museum of Art. Recording and editing by Drew Barron. Today's episode was hosted by Dr. Brigida Johnson. Additional production for this series is brought to you by me, Wilson Bain. Today's guest was Mimi Jones and Pauline Clark. Funding for this series is made possible by the Baker and Baker Foundation. And this program has been made possible in part by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Democracy Demands Wisdom.